the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. The place is the studio at Mole End in Franklin, Tennessee. Michael, you give a lot of time to this radio program. Thank you for what you invest in us. Well, and thank you as well for coming all the way from Chicago, you and Joe Carlson, uh, to do this. All the work that goes on behind the scenes. Joe, thank you. You edit and come up with so so many of the ideas for the shows. I mean, uh, this is definitely a community effort. We talk about a lot about community, but mm-hmm. this is a community mm-hmm. effort. And as we've talked before, it, it has introduced uh, all of us who listen to so many wonderful friends who bring, oh, yeah. each bring a different perspective, a different sense of God's call on their life and, you know, the work of creativity and community. And it just lets you know how rich yeah. God's uh, community Amen. is. Amen to that. A little bit later on today, we have the privilege of talking with Dr. John Perkins. Oh, he's one of my heroes. And I know he has yeah. shaped your life in Absolutely. some very important ways. So we'll talk with him in the second half of today's program. But as we get started today, we want to talk... And open the word on the theme of God's glory. Mm. Tell us what we're going to do. Well, we're going to go all over the Bible. We're going to look in a couple of passages in Exodus, see where Moses encountered that glory. Then we're going to see uh, basically what, how Paul interpreted that passage and then see uh, eventually where the true glory of God shines. We're going to hear some of your music along the way as well. As a matter of fact, let's begin with this song, In the Wilderness. It's no accident that we've chosen this song to begin today's program. No, because we're going to start with Moses in the wilderness. And uh, the truth is, and this is a theme that uh, Bill Lane left with us, the truth is that God reveals himself in the wilderness uh, and that he calls all of us into wilderness times to let us know who he is and, and what his glory is all about. As Michael sings for us, he's accompanied by percussionist Ken Lewis and Steve Mikesell on the bass. In the studio, the song is called In the Wilderness. One, two. In the wilderness, in the wilderness, he calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness. But he gives grace sufficient to survive any test. And that's the painful purpose of the wilderness. In the wilderness we wander, in the wilderness we weep, in the wasteland of our wanting, where the darkness seems so deep. We search for the beginning, for an exodus to home, and find that those who follow him must often walk alone in the wilderness in the wilderness he called his sons and daughters to the wilderness but he gives grace sufficient to survive any test and that's the painful purpose For a way to understand But in the wilderness there's not a way For the ways become a man And the man's become our exodus The way to holy ground And waiting in the wilderness Is the best way to be found In the wilderness In the wilderness He calls the sons and daughters Gives grace sufficient to survive any test, and that's the painful purpose of the wilderness, and that's the painful promise of the wilderness. Oh, it's so important to understand. Often we don't like it. But it's in that dry wilderness time that uh, God comes to us. It's in the wilderness that we learn how much we need God, Mm -hmm. that we can't do anything without him, and that that we learn that he is our father after Mm -hmm, all. mm -hmm. And as we'll uh, talk about here over the next few minutes, the fact that he wants to have that kind of fellowship and and counts us as his friends to walk with him. That's important. He has done everything possible, everything possible, including and most especially giving his own son uh, to make that sort of relationship a reality. And uh, it, it is glorious. It's part of his glory. Well, let's see what God will teach us then through his word. Where, where should we begin? Well, I want to start in uh, Exodus 33 uh, and, and Moses. 
Um, we're going to contrast uh, Moses' experience uh, on the mountain with his face radiant with Jesus' experience on the mountain with his face radiant. Uh, 33 verse 12, um, Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Surely you're not going to send me to do this all by myself. See? <laughs> uh, you've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses started to realize, oh, he knows what I want. So Mm -hmm. Moses says, now show me your glory. Hmm. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. So that's part of my glory. And I will proclaim my name, also part of my glory, the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. And then God goes on to explain that he's going to put Moses up in the cleft of a rock, and he's going to cover him with his hand, and he's going to pass right. I mean, God, the presence of God is going to pass right by Moses, and he's going to be sheltered in the cleft of that rock. And this in uh, now in, in 34.29 is uh, the, uh, the, the result of the story. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant <laughs> because he'd spoken with the Lord. Think of that. Oh, and that's that's the afterglow, see, as it were. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came to him and spoke to him. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commandments and the Lord that the Lord gave him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put on a veil. So he, he has to cover his face up with this veil because the people are afraid of him. Now, here's Paul's read on that, uh, on that business. That old system of laws etched in stone led to death, yet it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look on Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. See, this wasn't a permanent mm-hmm. glory that Moses had. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory when the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old covenant, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new covenant, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new covenant. And Paul goes on to say, We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory fading away. So Moses sort of leaves the veil on even mm-hmm. after the glory had gone to let them know. But I think the point at what we want to look at is in the wilderness, Moses and the people realized, I mean, his first request was, you know, if, if you don't go with us, this isn't going to happen. And the Lord said, my presence will go with you. He said, you. my presence will go with you. And Moses realizes that that is a new promise from God. And he says, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'll proclaim my name. I'll let my goodness pass in front of you, but you can't see my face because no one can see my face and live. And that is the uh, the introduction then to the story in the Gospels about the transfiguration of Jesus. All right, we, we want to go there, but before we go to the Gospels, uh, we have to let the words of another one of your songs uh, teach us further about this. Uh, will you sing this for us? This song is called The Face That Shone. Uh, Michael yeah. Card, once again here in the studio. He ate the bread from heaven and drank water from the rock And the grumbling children followed like a misbegotten flock He climbed upon a mountain they couldn't even touch Who'd have known that one encounter 
could have ever meant so much Then up upon that high place In a cleft of solid stone His face was set on fire As the God of glory shone He alone had seen it And had lived to tell the tale But because they feared the fire He had to hide behind a veil The face that shone with the glory of the Father Though he had known and endured dark desert days The face that shone with the glory of another Soon the prophet would discover As the glory was fading away He was the bread from heaven He would be the smitten rock He had twelve confused disciples They were his bewildered flock When he climbed upon the mountain He took Peter, James, and John But in the face of pending glory They soon began to yawn As he prayed while they were sleeping He was transfigured into light His face a blazing fire His eyes so burning bright And Moses finally saw the face Before he'd hidden from And then came a voice from heaven This is my beloved son The face that shone was the glory of the Father And he had known from the start that it was so The face that shone had let the light shine out of darkness And were changed into his likeness As we gaze upon the sun The face that shone was the glory of the Father And he had known from the start that it was so The face that shone had let the light shine out of darkness And were changed into his likeness As we gaze upon the sun Again, it's called The Face That Shone, and I'd like for us to take a few minutes now and kind of take a look, a little deeper look at some of the scriptures that led you to write that song, Michael. Yeah, well, we already looked at the uh, Exodus passage, Moses' glory uh, on, on Mount Sinai. Now what, I want to look at the, the Transfiguration passage, and I, uh, it's, it's in all the synoptics, but what I want to look at uh, is the passage in Mark 9, okay. 2 through 10. That's uh, Mark's version of it, and I... I, I I think it's important to use Mark's version because, as we know, Mark's version is Peter's version, right? Mark is the person who recorded Peter's account of the gospel. And so right. uh, I think that's important. And interestingly enough, this is the only time with Jesus that Peter ever referred to in his letters. This moment was when Peter really saw, really for the only time, the glory of Jesus. Hmm. Okay? Uh, so this is Mark uh, 9. Verse 2. Verse 2. Six days later... Uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the top of a mountain. So here we are back again on top of a mountain. No one else was there. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance changed, and his clothing became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly process could ever make it. And what Peter says, far brighter than any fuller could bleach it. Then Elijah and Moses, there's Moses again. And Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus, and we know from Luke that they were talking about Jesus' exodus. Oh, you know, isn't it something that Moses uh-huh. is talking to somebody yeah. about their exodus? And Peter responds, "Teacher, this is wonderful. We'll make three shrines: one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah." He didn't really know what to say, for they were all terribly afraid. Kind of nervous speak. Huh? Oh yeah, he did, and and Peter didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> then a cloud came over them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly they looked around, and Moses and Elijah were gone. And only Jesus was with them. As they descended the mountainside, he told them not to tell anyone that what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting that that early in uh, their walk with Jesus, he's already talked about rising from the dead, and they have no idea what he's talking about. Hmm. Well, Moses 
reflects God's glory. He absorbs it, as it were, when he's with him on the mountain. But this is something completely different because Jesus is radiating the glory of God. He himself is. He's the source. He is the source of the glory of God. And uh, the veil is, is, it's not as if Jesus changes. This has been Jesus' true nature all along, and the veil is just lifted. That's why we don't call this a transformation. We call this a transfiguration. Oh, I okay? see. Okay. And so uh, Peter and James and John, they get to see this. But what's important to me is the guests that are with Jesus. Moses is there and Elijah was there. And both Moses and Elijah had had experiences with the glory of God on the tops of mountains. And we just read about the, the passage from um, Exodus where Moses had that experience. And when I think that Moses asked to see the glory of God, when I, I believe he really asked to see the face of God, I can't help but believe that God has finally kept that promise, that he has allowed Moses to huh. see his face, huh. that is, the face uh, of Jesus. Uh, but Peter doesn't know what to do. He responds with this business about making shrines, um, making tents. And I think the idea is that when you see God's glory, you need to be protected from that glory by a tent or by a tabernacle. Oh, I see. And that's why I think he wants to put them in. It wasn't in. just to show him honor. No, I don't think so. And some people say, well, the season of tabernacles is near, and, and Peter wants to celebrate tabernacles with them on the mountaintop. In fact, that's what I've always taught. But uh, the more I've looked at this, I've read some articles recently in some of the biblical journals, and I'm sort of becoming convinced that Peter is afraid, right? This is a response from fear, and he, he wants shelter hmm. from the glory of God, because just like Moses, he knows that nobody sees this divine glory. And 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 as we see, when the experience is all over, what does Jesus come to him and say? He says, don't be afraid, mm-hmm. because Peter has every reason to be afraid, hmm. because he has seen uh, the glory of God. Well, do we just read this and see this as a historical event for Peter and the others, or is there a sense in which we uh, have a glimpse of that glory today? No, I, mean, I think the whole—I mean, it certainly is a historical event, which which gives it its power and its validity, but— uh, Wayne, the whole purpose is to understand that we, too, are called to look at the glory of God in the face of Christ. I mean, Paul picks that up. In fact, Wayne, I mean, Paul has summed it up for us in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. And that's the same God that Moses was speaking to, right? This Mm -hmm. creator God, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I mean, what Moses wanted was to know God, right? You know, show me your glory. I want to know who you really are. I get the idea of of moving in to move out. You You do. We we go out with that glory then. You do. And, And so now what Paul is telling us is that our experience is supposed to be just like Peter, James, and John's experience. That light, that glory, that radiance is to be found now in the face of Christ. And so I think we go through that experience by faith of uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. We read of this uh, Jesus, gentle Jesus, lowly and mild, the carpenter, but then we're also drawn into these passages where he does miraculous things like walking on water, like raising the dead. It must have been terrifying Mm -hmm. to see Jesus raise the dead. And I think my question to the listeners is, and to myself is, have we ever experienced this terrifying splendor, this terrifying glory of Jesus, because when he reveals himself this way, the first words on his lips are, don't be afraid. Living on this side of the resurrection and and all, um, do we have a a greater possibility of this happening than even Peter did? Well, I think we have a greater knowledge. I mean, Peter doesn't know how to respond, right? Peter himself says, he didn't know what to say because he was, you know, confused and he was afraid. But we're, I think, in a position because of the Word of God to know Jesus more intimately in some sense than Peter did in, in terms of knowing who fully who he is. Right. I'm thinking that, you know, we have the, the Holy Spirit resident in us right. uh, and, with that glory. And Peter didn't at this time. In fact, the Spirit had to descend, you know, God's Spirit descended in this cloud and had to speak to Peter. I think you and I have that Spirit now in us. What we have to do, though, I think, is step back and realize all over again the awesomeness, and awesome is a word that unfortunately has been uh, blown up, but we have to step back and, and realize this terrifying awesomeness that we are the possessors of the glory of God, 
we have, in, through the Holy Spirit, uh, the presence of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. And this, this is an, an amazing responsibility. It's, it's an amazing position I think we take for granted. Well, I appreciate this so much because this is not something that we think about probably enough, do no. we? No, and, there, and there's, there's so much more uh, to say about it and, and to realize about it. We're just barely scratching the surface. Hopefully we're whetting the appetite of people. Yeah, and I want to encourage the listeners to, to look at these passages and pray over them and meditate and, 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 and use your imagination to understand them better. Speaking of prayer, uh, you and I, I think, both right now, oh, yeah. judging from our eye contact here, feel it's time to pray. Oh, yeah, we need to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you through whom the radiant splendor of God uh, comes to us, uh, we ask you now, Lord, to help us to see your glory. I mean, Moses asked for it. The disciples wanted to see your glory, and we're asking to understand and to see your glory. Uh, take us uh, to that mountaintop. Help us to see who you really are. Uh, we have uh, such a veiled understanding when it comes to your presence, Lord Jesus. Uh, we have uh, enculturated you. We've bound you up and veiled you with our own ideas. And we ask that as a people now, and this prayer will go out to a lot of people, we ask that as a people now you would unveil, that you would uh, transfigure yourself in our own hearts, in our own minds, so that we could see unveiled your glory and then respond to you in true biblical worship. Uh, shatter uh, all of these wrong notions that we have and open our hearts and our minds by your word and by the power of your spirit. We want to see you. We want to see your face. And even at the same time, Lord, I do pray that very soon we would see your face as it comes to us in your final coming, that we, we would see your face in the clouds, that we would see you returning in glory. And once and for all, that this world, this confused world, would know and would recognize your lordship over everything. So show us your glory, Lord Jesus, and come to us quickly. Amen. Michael Janis, who lives in New Hampshire and listens to In the Studio, uh -huh. writes us an email question. Here's her question. She says, after Jesus died on the cross, John tells us that the soldier speared him in the side and immediately outflowed blood and water. Mm -hmm. Now, she says, I've heard many explanations for the water that don't satisfy me. Yeah. I am a nurse and understand about anatomy and physiology, and none of the explanations seem likely to me. Right. Uh, listening to you, I've learned to pay attention to details, and this is one I think may have been overlooked. Could this be a sign from God, just as the veil being torn in two is a sign of our direct access to God yeah. through Christ? Uh, th this being an indication of both the physical and spiritual presence of Christ, though her, her point is the water signifying the sanctification, the blood symbolizing justification. Yeah. Well, that, thanks for that question, Janet. And I, I'm like you. I've I've read all the commentaries on John, and I've heard every sort of um, uh, deep, mysterious uh, explanation of what that means. Let's look at that story. Um, it's it's in the, the 19th chapter of John, and if you want to know from the outset, I, I think it has to do with eyewitness detail. Okay. Because I think what has happened is something unusual has happened. I mean, if you speared him in the side and blood came out, that's not unusual. You can stick anybody in the side mm -hmm. and blood's going to come out. Mm -hmm. um, but let's look at that passage. It's, it really is kind of a mysterious passage. Um, uh, the soldiers in verse 32, they break his legs, and, and that's a, the fulfillment, fulfillment of mm -hmm. a sign. Well, actually, they don't break his legs, and that's the fulfillment of a sign that none of his legs would be broken. So they come to Jesus, and they find that he, he's already dead. They don't break his legs. But just to make sure he's dead because they're going to take him down from the cross. It says, verse 34, Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man, listen to this strange little verse, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you also may believe. Now, what is that? It's a defense, isn't it? Yeah, that's an indication of an eyewitness. I think this soldier has become a part of John's community. Hmm. 
uh, I mean, I think he has given this testimony. He speared Jesus in the side. He saw the blood. He saw the water. Oh, okay. And now he sort of solemnly gives testimony. The man who's seen this has given his testimony. His testimony is true, which I think is, I mean, it's just a speculation, but I think it's a fascinating thing. But back to this uh, blood and water business, uh, Janice alluded to the fact that she's a nurse and she's heard the, the physical explanations. I've heard, you know, that um, blood you would expect, but that the 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 water was from the water uh, in the the pericardial sac that surrounds the heart, mm-hmm. and so the fact that water comes out is an indication that Jesus' heart burst, and uh, there are m- medical examples of this happening. And uh, I actually have a cardiologist in my Tuesday night Bible study. He goes, no, I don't agree with that because he said there's not that much water in, uh-huh. in that sack. And so that's not a good explanation. And I think Janice is, is alluding to this idea that, oh, well, maybe this is symbolic. Well, in the fir- it, it may be symbolic, but in the first place, it's an eyewitness detail. It was, it was not symbolic in the first place. It was you know, actual, right? Mm -hmm. But she may have in mind uh, Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus in chapter 3 where he talks about no one, you know, you you can't be born in the kingdom unless you're born of flesh and water and that the water somehow is symbolic of something spiritual going on. I think in the end, Janice, uh, John doesn't think we need to know if this is some deep symbol. He doesn't unpack it for us. Uh, I mean, he doesn't say... And this symbolized that. Now, he, he, he explained the breaking of the legs for us, didn't he? He just said, you know, he lets us know that, you know, that that was the fulfillment of a, of a passage in Exodus that said that none of the, the Passover lamb's uh, bones would be broken. Um, so I think if it is, if it is spiritually and, and uh, symbolic in, in, the, in the sense that you're wondering, that perhaps that's something we need to go and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us because I so far as I'm concerned, as I've seen it in the commentaries, and once again, y'all don't e- email me a bunch of things because I've read all <laughs> these things. I haven't seen it spelled out exactly what the blood and the water mean. I take this as, I almost said simply, but it's not simple, it's very profound. I take this as an eyewitness detail. The Roman soldier who took his pilum and thrust it, it's a death thrust into Jesus' side to see if he was really dead he was an eyewitness. He became part of the church, and this became part of his testimony, and then part of the testimony of the Gospel of John. The man who speared him, who saw blood and water come out, which was unusual, unusual enough that he commented on it. Hmm. Thanks, Michael. We're hoping many more of you will email your Bible questions to us and comments about the program. Our address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And you can hear this complete broadcast again when you visit our radio page at michaelcard.com. You'll also find information on how you can obtain a CD copy or transcript of today's studio session, along with any of Michael's books or CDs. Coming up in the second half, we'll have a powerful discussion with Dr. John Perkins, and we'll hear a song from Michael's new album here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Welcome back in the studio with Michael Card. In just a moment, our guest will be Dr. John Perkins, president of the John Perkins Foundation and one of the founders of the Christian Community Development Association. We look forward to talking to Dr. Perkins in just a moment. Yeah, John's a great hero in the faith for me. But first, a song from your latest CD, A Fragile Stone. Yeah, and we're going to be talking to John about racial reconciliation. And in Acts 10, we have the wonderful story of Peter uh, going across that line uh, and reaching out to Cornelius. This is called I Am Not Supposed to be here. Here's Michael Card in the studio. It was his final word as we walked beside the sea. You will be led where you don't want to go. I knew that he would test my faith and all that I believed. But just how far then I would never know. Send a vision then once more beside the sea To a rooftop where my ecstasy was seen To ask what was unaskable Three times the vision came And demanded I embrace what was unclean You know I'm not supposed to be here To cross the line no one has crossed before 
that you've called to break the rules and to go someplace I'm not supposed to be. My stumbling faith responded to what my mind said wasn't right. So I left that place and followed in a dream to find unfamiliar strangers who were hungry for the light. Then I realized that no one is unclean. But I was born to be a winner and not to serve some fallen, conquered king who took up the cross and bled when he broke himself for bread in a place that he was not supposed to be. In a place where he was not supposed to be. In a place where he was not supposed to be. Michael, thank you. The song is called I Am Not Supposed to Be Here. Those were the words of Peter when he arrived at Cornelius' mm-hmm. house. First thing he said in, uh, in Acts 10, he <laughs> walked in the house, was, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> and God had called him to come across that line that no one had ever crossed before <laughs> and to reach out to the Gentiles. A wonderful picture of racial it reconciliation. Is. It really is. Well, let's say hello to Dr. John Perkins. Dr. Perkins, thanks for being with us today. I'm delighted to be on your show. Uh, some years ago, uh, I, I went to a Justice and Mercy conference at Asbury, and uh, I had had never been exposed to your teaching, Dr. Perkins, but uh, that time, uh, particularly for myself and my best friend, Scott Rowley, that changed our lives. And, uh, and because of uh, your influence, uh, I think we, uh, we really desired to start this ministry in Franklin called the Empty Hands Fellowship, uh, which is uh, really you know, sort of one of your children. So it's a great privilege to talk to you today. Well, it's a great privilege to be here, and, uh, you know, I'm now 72 years old and be 73 in June, and I want to spend the remainder of my life really sharing about holistic Christian community development and indigenous leadership development along with reconciliation. I believe that this is the key to, to making the gospel a creative witness in this world in which we are living. Dr. Perkins, we just heard Michael sing here in the studio, I'm Not Supposed to Be Here, that uh, episode of Peter going to Cornelius. I'm just wondering if we can begin our discussion time with you by getting your uh, your thinking about that passage of Scripture. Well, I, I think it, it really, the, as we know, the door that was open to the Gentiles to really show that this message was to be a international, universal, multicultural church and that race was not, he was sending us to all the races, and Peter was the, the pioneer in opening that door to the, to, the, uh, to the Gentile church. This is a significant event in the history of the, uh, of the church, and it's one that uh, uh, we should be really uh, uh, proud of, that the good news of the gospel was sent to all of the world. Dr. Perkins, as, as you've reached out and crossed a lot of uh, the same sort of lines, did you ever get that feeling, yeah, I'm, I'm not supposed to be here, but God has called me to be here nonetheless? Yes, I have, I have felt that. But one of the things about me is that I was uh, converted in 1957, just in the midst of, you might say, a, a sort of a fundamentalist revival in Southern California, mm-hmm. a Bible church movement. And it was after World War II, and I was after the Korean War, and there was a there was a real uh, awakening uh, among the fundamentalists, primarily white fundamentalists in Southern California, and uh, and they reached out to me, and I was loved and respected, and I had not been a part of religion in the church, mm-hmm. and so really I got the feeling there that. They really wanted me to be there, and it was an exciting time. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, three years later, I ended up back in Mississippi. But there, the grace of God had been offered to me by those brothers and sisters in Christ. And once you have experienced the grace of God passed on by other people uh, in a key place in your life, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people look at me as a black, as being such a... 
a somewhat of a hero because I reaches out to whites and other minorities in, the, in other groups in the world. But that grace had been extended to me, and I was discipled by blacks and whites who loved me during this period. And I sort of got the feeling when, you, when I was first converted that this is the way the church ought to be. I hadn't experienced, I had experienced racism and bigotry, but I hadn't experienced it as a Christian. So that was an important uh, 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 time. So I have not had the the deep sense of of really personal Christian rejection. Mm-hmm. Now I have been rejected as a black person, mm-hmm. but that wasn't primarily as a being rejected as a Christian. That was being rejected on the basis of race. Mm-hmm. Well, when you when you got the call to go back to to Mississippi, I mean, I mean, I'm understanding that sort of like Peter's experience. I mean, did you want to go when God called you to go back there? Well, when when I first, yeah, I think that became a sort of a a yearning for me. I, and I look back on that and I try to uh, explain it. I and understand it. I think it's because I had spent my first 17 years here in Mississippi mm-hmm. and had not really been exposed to the clear message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that had to do with the fact that I was not from a Christian environment. Mm-hmm. But I made the assumption that really the gospel, as I had received it there in California with my conversion, had was not being basically presented uh, uh, in Mississippi. So it was really became a challenge for me to come back to my uh, uh, home state and uh, share the gospel. It was more my wife at that point who really didn't want to uh, return. But mm-hmm. once I got back here, many times I wished that I had not have done it. <laughs> Yeah, I wish we had time to tell the whole story here. I, I urge our listeners to read the life story of John Perkins because those were difficult times. Uh, beatings, jail time, and, and uh, everything else that went along with it, a very tough time. Uh, Dr. Perkins, uh, the 1990s, um, reconciliation became kind of a buzzword. And some progress was made, but I'm just wondering if you can, you're always so honest and straightforward. Can you give us an a, a assessment of where we are right now in the church? Are we making real progress in this area or not? that we yes i think the the promise keepers brought it to the public platform and and there is real uh, uh progress being made but along with that because it was not uh uh considered uh, a theological, a biblical mandate that we do it. And so we had actually shaped the church where it could grow more efficiently and faster by not hmm. adding reconciliation, hmm. racial reconciliation as a component. Hmm. Like racial reconciliation was seen as a real hindrance mm-hmm. to church development and church growth. And it's still somewhat seen that way. But the very fact that our senator had to leave the Senate based on what he said about race shows us that we are making a lot of our progress in the whole country, and particular, we are making a lot of progress within the within the local church. Now, we are not making enough. I was thinking of that. We are not making enough before the whole world mm-hmm. while we are seeing some significant improvement here in this country. We have to look at ourselves as we carry the gospel to the end of the world, because that's the task before us, uh, is to carry this gospel. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached into all the world for a witness uh, for, for, uh, for his name. So when we look at one of our mission fields, one of our long mission fields, like in Nigeria, uh, when the Miss Universe was coming there, uh, the Muslim people assumed that the church and the West was the sponsors of that. Mm-hmm. And there came about all of this killing and death, and finally they had to move mm-hmm. the Miss Universe to uh, Europe, uh, uh, London, in order to display it. And, and it assumed that the Christian church agreed with uh, these uh, 
they would say undressed ladies mm-hmm. uh, displaying themselves that that was a Christian sponsored event. Yeah. And I have not heard the church that much explains that. Mm-hmm. Islam people, in their own eyes, see their moral integrity as being better than the Christian church as it relates to our sexual behavior in society. Mm -hmm. It's it's on the agenda, and of course, uh, it's it's important and significant, but we haven't made enough progress because still, it is still at the, why it made it on the Coach McCartney and the Promise Keeper, massive uh, push, Mm -hmm. but it has not got down to the average a First Baptist, a First Presbyterian, yeah. or the First Methodist is still the, on the edges uh, of 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 the, of the church. Yeah, Doctor Perkins, it's good, interesting that you would um, make that comment. We were together with uh, a group of pastors not long ago, and and talking to them about racial reconciliation, and their and their statement was. There's no problem. That's mm. we put that behind us, mm. and uh, and they were from an, an all white church that didn't have any connection to the community, uh, to the black community in their cities at all. They just didn't see it as an issue. Getting the issue on the docket is just the first step, isn't it? That's the easiest thing to do. Yeah. And, and right, that, see, that's the big thing. We have disassociated uh, to a certain degree uh, the church from the neighborhood and the parish, yeah. and have gone for church growth from all over town, and the church has become a commuter church, yep. and the church has lost its community impact. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, the, the, if, pre- if racism stems from prejudice, and prejudice stems from to judge people before you know them, mm. the only solution then to that problem is to get to know those people that yeah. you have prejudged. Yeah. Now, and, I'm, and, I'm going to stop that, you right there, Dr. Perkins, and, and ask Mike about this, because, Michael, you have learned this. You are learning this now yeah. right here in your own community, aren't you? Well, that that, that has been our experience. Uh, Dr. Perkins, I mentioned before Scott Rowley and, and me, when I became part of a um, uh, First Missionary Baptist Church, which is a black church here in, in Franklin, uh, Denny Denson is the pastor, and and I would, I think I was like the 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 people I mentioned a minute ago. I just didn't see that it was an issue, an issue anymore. But uh, our pastor uh, Denny, who's really my closest friend now, I think de- getting to to know Denny has been uh, uh, one of the most enriching experiences of my life. And I think I hope he would say the same thing. Uh, we just didn't know each other. Uh, there was there was no there wasn't a bridge between us except for Christ. And, and this is the fulfillment of the of the concept of community. Yeah. Community involves reconciliation yeah. as well. And here in Franklin, I, I don't know what it's like in Mendenhall. I guess it's pretty much the same. Uh, the the black community and the, and the white community sort of lives separately uh, by their own choice. I mean, the blacks have their groceries, the whites have their groceries, the blacks have their churches, the whites have their churches, and it, it's just become this sort of settled issue. And uh, we're all amazed at how enriched we become when we start opening the door of our lives to each other. You see, the key to reconciliation is the understanding of the fact that we was created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And being created in the image of God, we have creative possibilities. And that we must then see that our brother, that we don't know now mm. and that we need to know have something that we need that our own life can be enriched mm-hmm. it becomes difficult then for people who have lived in a uh, superior situation then mm-hmm. to see their brother as having something to offer to to them and i guess even back to that passage yeah that, it, it probably took as much for cornelius yep to send to Peter, as it was for Peter to send to Cornelius. It took God Mm. getting involved in a vision in both of their life, because under normal circumstances, they would not have met, because Cornelius saw himself as absolutely, from a powerful Roman perspective, superior. Mm -hmm. And Peter saw himself as a Jew, as superior in religious behavior Mm -hmm. in society. And it's only as we see people 
created in the image of God, and we're really going to receive from our encounter with them that reconciliation uh, can take place. Reconciliation, biblical reconciliation, assumes equality. Mm-hmm. And if you come at it any other way, then you're going to miss the enriching of the person. And so that mm-hmm. idea that, that the only way that we can break down these barriers is to get to know. And the thought to know in the Bible is the strongest relationship that we can have. That sort of thought is used when we're talking about uh, an intimate relationship with a woman, Mm -hmm. you know, is to really get to know them, and from that comes new life. And and so that's the same as if we're going to break it down. Mm -hmm. And we sort of think that programs is going to do it. Programs can help to bring us together. Mm -hmm. But see, out of those programs, then, we have to then look for that sort of a personal interaction. It's got to penetrate our heart, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, right. That that is a good word. And and we see absolutely a value. Our own personal... See, most of the coming to help me, because I'm black and we're impoverished, the most of it is coming so that they can help me, and I welcome that kind of help to come. But the evidence and the reports that I hear all the time that these people say that we received more than we was able to give, and then some of these people even feel embarrassed when they leave. Oh, to get to that point. Oh, I'm so sorry that our time is uh, nearly gone here. There's never enough time to talk with a person like John Perkins, Michael. Dr. Perkins, I've got one more question. how how has this then enriched your worship when you see God move the way he moves in bringing people together in in the same sense as Peter who has the vision and all of a sudden realize you know it's it's not food the vision was about it was people there are I'm not supposed to see people as unclean anymore how has that then impacted your worship well it uh I was uh, doing the new year's worship service. I was just sitting in the pulpit as young people, black and white, was performing there on the stage. Mm -hmm. And I just had to bear my head (laughs) in gratitude to God Mm -hmm. for him allowing my life to be enriched in this way. Uh, And and, and man, that to me was uh, was the worship in the sense that I felt this deep overpowering desire to really want to weep mm. in terms of gratitude to God mm. for him so blessing me and being a part of that worship where I was seeing people of different races worshiping God together. It was our singing, mm. uh, dancing team, mm-hmm. and it was I was just overpowered <laughs> with a sense of, of, of gratitude to God. Well, let's him carry that. Me the opportunity to be involved in this fellowship. Let's mm. carry that right to the end of our broadcast here today. Before our time is completely gone, let's let's enter into that kind of, of gratitude-filled worship mm-hmm. of the Lord. Uh, Michael will ask you to do this for us, Doctor Perkins. Thank you for being with us. We're going to close now with a worship song in that spirit. It's called "Come Worship the Lord."
us worship the Lord and shout with joy to the rock who saves us. For we are his people, we are the flock that he shepherds. to end our time together in the studio with Michael Card. We're praying that God will use this time each week to broaden your relationship with Christ. It would be a great encouragement to hear how this is happening in your life. We hope you'll take a moment and send us your comments as well as your questions about the Bible to studio at michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll be sure to stop by www.michaelcard.com to get a better look at all that's going on with the ministry. Now, if you'd like to review what's been said today, then go to our radio page for the audio streaming of today's entire broadcast. Or you can order a CD copy of this or any in the studio program. And then see if you'd like to sign up to automatically have CD copies of each week's broadcast sent to you. Also, we have transcripts for those who are members of the community. You can find all of this as well as a complete listing of Michael's books, CDs, and his DVDs scribbling in the sand when you stop by michaelcard.com. Well, join us again next week for more music and challenging conversations centered on God's Word. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris, our producer Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.